This is the Shift Podcast. Today on the Shift Daily Podcast, how are Ukrainians feeling after the massive Pentagon leak out of the states, which said they don't have enough stuff to fight back this spring? Democracy advocate and former judge Mikhailo Zernikov joins us, helps us to give his reactions from Kyiv, and helps us understand why the country desperately needs American fighter planes too. Are you okay with pizza delivery and organ donation? Two very separate topics, just so you know, on Are You Okay With? Here on the Shift Daily Podcast, and cybersecurity expert Charles Finley with Toronto Metropolitan University helps us understand how Russians are launching cyber attacks against Canada how Canada is vulnerable, and why he thinks attacks aren't slowing down anytime soon. It's all on the Shift Daily Podcast. This is the Shift Podcast. Mikhailo Zernikov joins us from um, from Kiev, Ukraine, which we haven't seen him for a while, and joins us on the Zoom call today. So here you are in real life. Uh, good to see your face. I, 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 I mostly am... Uh, surprised because we're able to do this now more comfortably a year ago we weren't doing this and i mean a year ago we were in parking garages underground laundry rooms our conversations were happening in strange places and so what a great uh step forward to be able to actually sit and see each other face to face it's great to see you absolutely uh thanks for having me shane and it's yeah it's safe to say we're, we're seeing each other for the first time more or less and um yeah that's that's really a good uh, shift so to say uh from where we were you're right yeah. well in the very beginning i mean we didn't talk about where you were because we were pretty sure that um you were going to be on a list of people that uh, were not going to be included in the future of ukraine because of your work that you do in reform for government and and creating new uh, new world like that your you know your career as a lawyer and a judge and now you're an advocate for for change and democracy and all those things and working on that system inside ukraine me on the other hand i'm pretty sure i'm on a list somewhere i'll never be allowed to go to russia ever again if i i've never been but if i ever wanted to go uh, to see some of the the places there, I don't think they'll ever let me in after this. That's a, that's a lot. That's a loss, Shane. Like, how how will you survive without going to I don't know Siktivkar or whatever, whatever strange other yeah. Russian town there is? I'll come to uh, I'll come to Ukraine. We'll be all right. Please do. All right. Uh, do. So it's been a, it's been a minute um, since we chatted. So how about just an open um, an open forum to bounce around? what it is that that you've seen recently the wikileaks leak that's was a low-level military person in the states which is probably terrible for that person because they they keep getting called a nobody like this guy wasn't nobody um which is that's all that's not all right but the they leaked well, a bunch still of you're getting the secret documents right yeah the secret somehow. documents guy yeah but they have access to all these documents which is the weirdest thing now canada was implicated in that with our work with ukraine canada was implicated in that implicated in that with a russian hack on resources here as well and one of the big ones was does ukraine have enough armaments for a spring offensive which is welcome to springtime so where, where does that all land for you and keith yeah that's a big thing uh back home because people are discussing it of course we understand this this should be taken with a grain of salt as well because you know that's how russian propaganda works because it's it's from what we know it was uh kind of shared in some forum and then it was taken to the russian telegram channels or whatever channels and of course, they might have added uh, things that they want us to hear and discuss 
uh, that's that's not the first time that happens. But um, if if what is there is real uh, in terms of that the, the parts of it it says that uh, U- Ukraine's counteroffensive might not be um, um, successful enough or might not uh, give uh, a lot of gains that we a lot of us um, think might be a self fulfilling prophecy that you know. Um, that the Americans do not think we will gain a lot. That is why we're, they're not giving us enough weapons. That is why we're not gaining a lot, which, of course, would be terrible for, for all of us. And uh, again, we understand some of the hesitation, but that's uh, that's human lives every day. And the less, the less we get, you know, the every day we're, we're not retaking our territory every day. Atrocities are happening on the occupied territories. Let's not forget about that. But the, the front line has not shifted for, for a while. That is why we're not rediscovering, you know, other places like Bucha or Rupin or Izum, but uh, they're there. Your family history is from Eastern Ukraine. Do you um, do you watch that a little bit more closely than than most um, in Kiev, just because of the fact that you do have, at least maybe not today so much, but a history of ties there? Well, uh, just in terms of we watched it because we have property on those lands that were occupied and now were taken in Kharkiv Oblast. Yeah. But other than that, I think everybody is now, I mean, I watched her son um, counteroffensive uh, or taking of her son with maybe even more, um, what I call it, emotional attachment, because mm-hmm. uh, that, that's a big city where, where a lot of people live. That's the, the, the one, the only major city that the Russians, Russians captured. And well, for for all different reasons, I think we're all one now. It doesn't doesn't matter where you're from. You're you're aching and you're uh, emotionally invested in in every inch of, of our land, which is of course natural. How patient are Ukrainians being now with the notion of a spring offensive? Because if I'm in your shoes, I'm growing impatient. I'm like, okay, let's just go blast the crap out of them. Let's get this done. This is the big push. Let's let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Things are warming up. Mud is still a problem, of course, with uh, until things dry up and yeah. so on. But at the same time, this is the way war works, is that winter is kind of buttoned down and try to, you know, hold the line. And then springtime comes and all hell breaks loose. So there's got to be a level of impatience uh, with some of your colleagues and friends and just in your circle of friends that that, that chat and say, like, when, when is this going to get going? Well, I think the general, at least in my bubble, the general feeling is that the um, the army knows best, um, the armed forces know best when to strike and when to go. And um, we all know, that, we all understand that, uh, you know, say the, the Russian attempts at offensive at Bakhmut are, you know, bad enough there you know this you mentioned all hell very close it's it's what what's been happening there for i don't know months now literally that's been ugly uh but luckily not successful but i mean when we counterattack, that means even more casualties even more losses on our side because it because attack as as, is is a complicated and uh yeah it's 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 a tough operation so in no way we won't um so what we want to to see is is to retake our territory and our people with with as as few losses as we uh possibly can so that is why yes we would like it to see to see it we like it to happen but i don't i, I won't say we're impatient we, we understand how important that is and how like how huge of a price is every human life that it's um that is lost um or will be lost during that so i i think i think uh 
whoever is following, they they are, they understand that, and uh, that's why it's just all faith is is it with the armed forces in Ukraine, with all these uh, heroes on on the ground, and of course with the uh, with all all our partners who support us with weapons and and other um, things to to do this. Well, this the tanks, the Leopard twos and stuff have started rumbling in as well, so that must be uh, quite exciting. Looking forward to seeing some of those things get into action. Uh, on that eastern front as well, because I mean, you're, that's, I mean, that's some of the best armament and mobile command center stuff that exists in the world is starting to really roll in there. True, uh, and and we're very lucky that we have them. Uh, however, I also have to mention there's a lot of you know, Northern Americans, U.S. people, but people possibly from Canada too, uh, who um, first you know volunteered, who enlisted, who wanted to fight. Uh, you know, side by side with the Ukrainian um, military in this war and help us liberate our, our land. And then they, when they are, they were there on the front lines, they understood that's nothing like the war they used to, uh, because a lot of them are veterans, uh, because they they have air support, they have uh, a lot of artillery support, they ha- they have a lot of other things. And then they, you know, their goal, th- then their task as an infantry is basically it's not a stroll in the park either, of course. Yeah. But then it's 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 much easier to uh, to to finish whatever the the you know modern 21st century um, pieces of, of uh, like heavy arms uh, have not finished. Yeah. It's it's a different thing in many in many places in Ukraine because we don't have those uh, we, we don't have air superiority we don't have those F-16s that we are you know um, and we keep we keep receiving the message oh it's you know it takes a half, half a year to train well. We've been having this discussion from the from day one of the yeah. war, right? That's that, that takes. Should we have started, you know, long ago? We, we we already probably would have taken all that land. So, I mean, that's crucial for um, for this exercise, and it's crucial for to win the war. So, uh, the sooner that arrives, the 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 sooner hopefully will be uh, done. We we talked about normalcy um, being a year ago. We talked about how the new normal and how that be, that's when it really becomes scary, right? Is when it's just normal now. This is normal life, um, and there's a, a story of normalcy that has sort of popped up here, and it's about Absolute Vodka. I don't know if you know the story. Absolute Vodka is owned by a French company. They're based out of Sweden. Um, they yep. uh, very popular vodka. Um, they stopped selling vodka to Russia. Uh, like most did back in March of last year, they quietly started selling it again. And Mm. so they're based out of Sweden and some artists in Sweden had found out about this and they created some fake billboards, some fake advertising. And I'm probably oversimplifying this, but you'll understand the basics of it. And I can post this news article up at shiftheads.ca from the BBC so you can read it. But the basic idea of the billboards was it was a bottle of absolute vodka that was kind of like a burning building blown up and sort of saying like, this is who you're supporting. Uh, that yeah. kind of thing to, to, to selling back to Russia, that normalcy thing, th- that's the scary part to me when, when, you know, people will be like, well, I guess this is the way it is now we can start selling again. And are you seeing any more stories like this or is this an anomaly strange story that, that we're just not seeing? Cause this is the first one that I've seen. I've seen most corporations just stay away. No, unfortunately we still have dozens of corporations. I think most of them, yes, left, but not, um, not all of them, definitely. There's there's some uh, also also French owned, by the way, um, Auchan supermarkets, for example, or others who who are actively supporting the Russian troops. Not even have not left the the um, Russian market, but just uh, 
um, providing food and like other resources to the Russian army even. So, um, of course, nobody goes to Ashan or almost nobody in, in Ukraine anymore. I don't know how long they will uh, keep their market here. But, um, yeah, that happens, uh, unfortunately. And, of course, there are different types of normalcy. You know, you probably have to have to have some normalcy as a citizen of Ukraine in order to, you know, to, to, to go on, to continue. But then, um, yeah, it's coming back to normal, whatever that means, uh, just doing business on just bloody money, basically financing that, um, uh, financing genocide is, uh, is a terrible, terrible thing and it shouldn't happen, but, uh, still some, uh, some corporations do that. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I, I'm just, just doesn't, I don't know how, um, yeah. And, it, and it's good that, 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 that response, you know, that the artists do this because that raises, uh, difficult questions before them and that raises awareness and they should, should continue doing this. Yeah. And I think it's a great, well, thanks uh, for that. yeah, a great thing to do. Okay. So we call this good news Tuesday here, Mikhailo on the shift where we talk about good okay. news and good news things. So I, I, I've spent a little time learning about the history of vodka, by the way. And I don't know, you know better than me. There's that pocket that what it was kind of used to be Poland, then it was Ukraine, then it's Poland again. It's that, that little northwest corner that has changed many times over hundreds of years. That the water there and vodka, that's really like the, the motherland of vodka. So oh, yeah. That, that's what I'm told. So I'm, because you're well, in Ukraine, and I know vodka and you guys call it something different properly in Ukraine, don't you? What do you look at? Yes. Yeah. So what is the best? Um, cause I mean, hey, I mean, y- you must have been out drinking once or twice. What, what is the absolute <laughs> best? Um, oh, for, I, for brand to be honest, I- I don't know because I, I haven't been drinking that for, I don't know, several years, definitely maybe a decade. I, cause I'm like, I'm a wine and beer guy. So yeah. I am, I, yeah, and it's, nothing. I think that's the culture. I, we discussed it yesterday with, with some of the U.S. colleagues that, you know, uh, the, the culture, because before that, uh, I don't know, I remember myself, I don't know, 20 years ago, people would come and I would go like, yeah, that's what we drink. Let's do a shot, like, or like several and have a dinner or whatever. <laughs> but then, uh, um uh, yeah now i just it just doesn't not not good for me anymore yeah. it's, and it's and i think it's increasingly in ukraine it's it's just your normal european uh culture of drinking uh so i i wouldn't possibly know and i uh yeah i have, have been doing that for a while summarizes <laughs> we're getting older okay so because it's good news tuesday <laughs> uh, there's it's true right uh there's a texter named nighthawk steve he texted in he said well uh, it's good to hear Mikhailo's uh, voice, and if that's not good news, then I don't know what is. So, uh, oh, it's so sweet. So, thank you very much. So, thank you for and being that's... here. Uh, it's great to see your face, and great to hear. Thank your voice. you so very much, Shane. Great to see you, and please continue doing this. It's super important to get uh, you know um, everybody know what's happening here. This is the Shift Podcast. Are you, are you are you okay 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 are you okay with 877-399-9898 we do uh some stories here you can share your thoughts on the stories it's also good news tuesday so we've got some good news songs and your good news stories text him in what is your good news here on the shift ryan o'donnell's in downtown calgary john o'chung in downtown vancouver i'm shane hewitt i'm in calgary as well in the north end in airdrie are you okay with pizza delivery pizza delivery they are the uh the unsung heroes i'm going to share with you with uh, 420 well i mean they're beloved you know 420 is around the corner so i'm going to share a little story here the first time i ever tried k2 
cannabis. Me and my friends, we ordered pizza. And I was so excited when that pizza guy showed up that we all gave him a hug. And my friend accidentally tipped the guy $65. That's how excited we were for pizza. Accidentally. And we made that guy's, I hope that, I hope he remembers that, that tip and probably the unwanted hug because uh, it, it just, it perfectly encapsulates what makes pizza delivery so special. It's just a universal love language. Pizza. Oh, I thought it was hugs or weed, maybe. Uh, you could argue all three of those. <laughs> hmm. Interesting. Pizza delivery is great. I think that um, some places work really hard to get you great delivery. I, I think that when you order from your local joint and it's a local person, local driver that they employ, which is great. Not to say that like mm -hmm. a skip driver is not local person, but they've got their own person. You get the same driver every time you order the pizza. I like that because then you can tip them. You're like, yeah, hey, Bob, thanks for the pizza. And I love a couple of places here that um, they'll say, okay, well, we'll have it to your pizza to you in an hour. And then it shows up in 45 minutes and it's hot. It's awesome. It's great. See, that's good to me. That's good service as opposed to, we'll try to get it to you before nine. So as long as it's hot, it's fresh and all that stuff, then great. Yes, absolutely. All for it. It is convenient though. Very. A pizza delivery man went above and beyond for his community this week. Oh. Not only did he deliver a fresh and hot pizza, he also aided Philadelphia police in catching a perp. Uh, that is a bad guy. Officers were in a car chase involving a stolen vehicle Sunday afternoon, and HTE Pizza Man was in the right place at the right time. He's delivering a pizza, but ends up delivering a takedown. Look! He doesn't even drop the pizza as he sticks his foot out and trips a suspect fleeing police. Tyler Morrell works at a pizza place outside Philadelphia. He was delivering a large pepperoni pizza to a customer when a speeding car suddenly skidded onto a lawn across the street. So then I hear the screech and that's what catches my attention. The suspected car thief tries to make a run for it. That's when Tyler makes a split second decision. He's six foot eight, so he didn't have to stretch very far. I was on the sidewalk, so right here, I hit him. Right. And he goes flying. Look again. Tyler sticks his foot out, and that dude goes down hard. Police have their man. So what about the hungry family? Did they ever receive their pizza? They sure did. Unscathed and on time. Wow. It's a good video. Can we post the video at so shifthead.ca? I will do that. I think it's it's already there actually. Is it there? Three I think three different people posted it already. Sweet. Spoiler alert for Are You Okay? <laughs> Love it. Um that's Inside Edition, by the way. Thank you, sir, for the assist. Brookhaven Police said on Facebook, if you're interested in a job, we're always looking for good people, they said to the delivery driver. His employer also praised him because it said on Facebook he helped officers and still delivered the food unharmed. While the police department praised the delivery driver, it also cautioned members of the public not to get involved in what can be dangerous situations when the suspects run from police. Unless, of course, you're a giant and six foot eight, then you do what you want. Six. That's an intimidating, like, pizza's here, ding dong, open the door, and you, like, your neck has bent all the way back. Uh, hello. <laughs> that's an intimidating pizza guy. I think you guys would still hug him when you're all high. Oh, in a heartbeat. I mean, I would only like come up to his like belly button, but yeah, sure. Yeah. As long as he's cool with it, I'm cool with it. <laughs> That's a fantastic image, Ryan O'Donnell. Mm -hmm. Well done. I'm a hugger. Mm -hmm. Uh 420 Thursday, officially. Mm -hmm. Right? So tomorrow. 
everybody. It's officially 420. Now, do you have to wait till 420 on 420? Because normal days, you wait till 420. So if it's 420 all day, does that mean you just do it all day? I don't know how this high thing works for you, you all you, all you people well, on the pot. I've never participated in weed on 420 because I'm always working on 420. Never. So as far as I know, it's just you do more than usual and everybody's doing it with you. I don't think the timing thing doesn't really matter. Oh, yeah. I thought 420 was that's what it was. It was just that everybody is at 420. Now, you know, that everyone, all you people on the pot are all on the pot at 420 together. And it's like some kumbaya thing. We love you. Uh, th that's where it that's where it, that's where it comes from. But I'm as for the day itself. I mean, if you go to Vancouver on 420, people are enjoying it a lot sooner than 420 in the afternoon. So, huh. you know, all right. I don't know yeah. these things. Just asking. I don't know them that much either. I'm not like Come I'm not that. On, you're the expert. I've literally never rolled a joint in my life. I don't know how to do it. That's never because you it. buy everything pre-made. You probably yeah. ordered it and had it delivered. No, I wouldn't. No, I wouldn't do that. No, no. It's almost Andy. Andy, he grows the pot, so mm -hmm. legally, of course. Yes. Ding. Um. <laughs> Four plants only up to a meter tall, yep. whatever the rules are. Are you okay with, he even calls it Andy's lettuce, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Like he's got his own name for it. Handy hash. Handy hash. What is hash? What is the difference? Uh, hash has tobacco in it, I believe is the big difference. Oh, it's less cannabis, know. more tobacco, I believe. Are you okay with, someone's going to correct us anyway. Oh yeah. Security cameras. They just installed one in my building today, like today. They replaced the old um, buzzer system with this new app thing. So I had to download an app on my phone and it's got a camera and it's the, I can see who buzzed in and it's really bizarre because I opened it up for the first time and there's my delivery driver, his face taking up the entirety of the screen. Yeah. I, I did order food tonight. <laughs> no, I said weed, but, but okay. Oh, yeah. weed. No, no, I'm not doing that. No, I like to go in and talk with the bud tenders to learn more. Um, oh. but did he bring uh, you pizza? That would be awesome. You get everything delivered. <laughs> I like, I, I love it. How you're like, I oh, money's so tight. Inflation's terrible. Ding dong. Oh, my delivery's here. <laughs> I was feeling lazy today. Anyway, the ca the camera is kind of cool because now you don't have that. You can see, at least in this option, buzz. Oh, hello. Who is it? It's they, this and this. Okay, it's deliver you know, delivering something. Great. But now I can actually see, oh, yeah, that's the Canada Post guy. Or, oh, yeah, that's my Uber Eats driver or whatever. So it's handy. It's good. Yeah, why not? Do you know them by name? No, no. I just say, thanks, man. Have a good day. Uh, Miss Josie does deliveries. Have you ever had Miss Josie do the uh, delivery show up? As far as I know, no. Hmm. All right. Uh, security cameras catch crimes all the time. In fact, one security camera is still recording a crime right now as we speak. That's because it's filming its own theft. Two Milwaukee burglars snatched thousands of dollars worth of tools from a house and unwittingly grabbed a security camera that's actually still translating, uh, that was still transmitting from the kitchen table. They took around $8,000 in tools 
Um, they also took a camera, which was hidden, which they did not know that would operate pretty much anywhere. So it's operating on their dining table right now. We can see everything. That's right. This video was recorded today, a week later, still in the home of the burglar. We're seeing people doing drugs. We're seeing people talk about how they sold the stuff, where the money went. So you don't think they realize it's still transmitting? They may or may not, but I don't think they really care. We're blurring the faces because no one's been criminally charged, but Milwaukee police have this video too. Uh, okay, well that's, that's crazy. WISN News, by the way, it's a battery-operated internet camera that uses a cell network. So wherever they take it, it's still broadcasting. They can see all the stuff. As of Monday night, it was still transmitting nearly eight days after it was stolen. Milwaukee police tell WISN 12 News they're continuing to investigate, but have made no arrests. How can they not find it? I mean, if I, you're watching CSI, they find those in a second. I don't know. They might be. They might be letting it happen so that it's. It might be part of a broader investigation. Yeah. Right. Maybe that, but, but other than that, they're going the, for the leader of the camera theft. Ring? Yeah, something like that. Or they just need mm. a pizza delivery guy to actually kick the door down for them. That would be Ooh, the only tripping. other. That'd yeah. be good. Yeah, they've got to wait and order a pizza to the place first for that. Mm-hmm. That is fascinating. I, I do have a webcam here uh, at home now. I haven't had one forever, and then I have one now. And it's neat what you can set on it. You can set it to record on motion. You can. You know, there's got the night camera, it's got the day camera, it's remote control, you can turn it, you can move it, you can do the talk back. So when I leave the house, this is the cool part because it connects to the home kit. When I leave the house, it automatically will stream for me. When I'm in the house, it will. I can have it set that it does not stream anymore. Or I can have it set that it will um, notify me on motion detection when I leave the house, but not when I'm in the house. So if my dog moves, right, it won't just tell me all the time if I'm sitting in the kitchen. But it is quite fascinating. Um, I I have found it to be, the kids don't like it, obviously. Yeah. But I have found it to be uh, quite, I don't know, helpful when, when you're on the road. Like if I'm out of town, gone all day, everything else, and you want to check and see what's going on. It's it's pretty handy to have access to be able to see what's going on in your house. I think that that's there, there's some value to it, and I know people have some privacy issues with it, concerns, but there's some good there. I, yeah, I think you're right. I I had a thing happen the other day where there's no cameras inside my apartment, but I I left to go grab something. I was like, oh man, did I unplug the iron? I was ironing some stuff. Did I unplug it? And I was 15 minutes from my house, and I didn't know, so I walked all yeah. the way back. And yeah, of course I unplugged it, but still, like I'm not gonna. I'm not going to risk it. So it'd be great to open up your phone and just check. Oh, yeah, no, it plugs the gun. We're good. Yeah. Most irons turn off, by the way. Just so you know. Yeah, it's just I, I ain't taking that risk. No fire for me. Uh, text came in about your comment about hash. Yes. In capitals, no. You can hear it. Is hash it. is the resin removed from the plant. You are thinking of a spliff, which is a rolled joint that includes tobacco. Oh. Okay. Well, there you go. Okay, then, um, weed friend. Does is that mean hash is the real sticky icky icky? Because it's usually that sort of brown resin gooey stuff. If I remember my thirty years ago and just about in college, it's like dry though. Yeah, it was like it's a like it... sticky clump of dry, right? 
compressing processing parts of the cannabis plant, focusing on buds containing, okay, cannabis stuff. Consume, yeah, yeah, it just, yeah, it's, yeah, it's just dry herb made from the resin. See, I'm not the expert. Mm. Maybe a consumption expert? <laughs> <laughs> connoisseur. A connoisseur, yes. I think it's what you're, connoisseur. connoisseur. Um, you don't need a motion detection to see when your dog moves, when your pop, pump jumps, pump jumps off the couch. I can feel it in my neighborhood, LOL. <laughs> you know, don't fat shame my dog. She's big. 420 protest does a group smoke at 420 p.m. to create a smoke cloud that fills the city. What are they protesting? It's legal. Maybe that's just how it started. Maybe typically yeah, they smoke or eat it all day on April 20. Yeah. Okay. I don't know these things, man. All right. Um, let's do one more. Are you okay with? Mostly because I like this story. Mm -hmm. Organ donation. Hell to the yeah. Air. Yeah. You, uh, this show and the conversation with uh, with the Boulay family uh, inspired mm -hmm. me to become a an organ donor. Like I've, got, mm -hmm. I've, I've done too. it now. Yeah. It's yep. pretty cool. It's nice to. Yeah. Go back so on our easy. podcast. You can hear the stories of the impact of being an organ donor. Uh, it's pretty amazing. Pretty amazing stuff. My son did it actually when he just got his, um, he got his. License changed. <laughs> He's like, did you donate your body to science too? He's like, yep, they can have it all. I'm like, oh, okay, that's weird. I would like to bury you as your father. So let's, can we change that one? <laughs> like, that's weird. Um, yeah. Uh, organ donor in Colorado may have saved many extra lives that they had no idea that they were saving thanks to the extra weight. The body, the donation body, was being transported. When the hearse it was in crashed through the guardrail and went off the road. It's a slick, snowy winter morning around 3 a.m. when the young driver working for Hubbard and Sons, a mortuary out of Grand Junction, says he was run off of I-70 near the Eisenhower Tunnel by an aggressive driver. Basically, I was driving. That's a lucky right there. Lucky indeed. The driver's hearse is balancing over the edge of the road. You can see what's down there. Just a few feet from tumbling down the embankment. Literally bounced me all the way over to the cliff and I was like teetering. And then when I like opened my eyes, I was like, holy, I was coughing like crazy because there was smoke everywhere. The driver was able to slide out of the car hanging over the side of the cliff, he said in part thanks to the weight of the body in the back on its way to organ donation. So that's one life saved in action possibly eight lives saved due to the generous donation of life after death. Fascinating to think that the counterweight of the body in the back of the hearse is what saved it from going over. So that and somebody ran a hearse off the road. Like, yeah. dude, karma. Come on. Yeah. Now, there was one really off-color joke that I thought was pretty good that I have to share. Did you, like, you made this joke or you saw this joke? No, I saw this joke. Okay. This is not my okay. joke, but I'm repeating okay. it, so guilty as okay. charged. Um, because it was a big, steep cliff, right? And there's, like, in a hearse, so there's, like, a, a body in it, like a coffin in the back. And it was one of those cheesy jokes. I wonder what, through, wonder what would have gone through the driver's mind if... As he went off the cliff and crashed. Because, I mean, really, that's how you would have died. 
Mm-hmm. What a death by coffin. Came crashing through the. That's a terrible way to go. Poetic sounds like a Shakespeare thing, yeah. right? Or actually, that sounds like something that would happen in a Smith song. Yeah, very good. Ryan's yeah. future. Uh, that was CBS Colorado <laughs> there, by the way, with the story, not the terrible uh, joke that I saw online. According to ABC News, the deceased person's organ donation saved not only the driver of the hearse, but also went out to help additional eight other people. There are 4,300 people in Canada waiting for a transplant of some sort right now. Only a fraction of Canadians are registered as donors, so the need is absolutely critical. But it's interesting to, to hear that, right? Not only did it save eight people or contribute to the lives of eight people, but it's uh, actually saved the driver of the hearse too, that young man. This is the Shift Podcast. Well, we recently heard because of some guy disgruntled in the States and WikiLeaks and all those things that there was an attack on uh, energy services in Canada. There's been more and more. We've been hearing this from all over the place. We've been hearing this from military people. We've been hearing it from hackers. We've been hearing it from um, just the reports in the news that activity is up really since it's kind of since September. I mean, since the, the war in Ukraine started, things changed, but really since September, uh, interest rates went up, inflation was, everyone was getting kind of exhausted. That's when we really started to see a big shift in my eyes. And to help me understand more of that, um, this is what he does. I don't want to jump out of my lane here, that's for sure, because um, I'm just observing from the outside. Charles Finley joins us to talk about cybersecurity. Um, the reason why it matters is, you know, it's not only the the daunting threat, Charles, of, of um something going wrong there's inconvenience to it and then there's just kind of this looming lock your doors thing going on uh, charles is with toronto metropolitan university faculty experts uh rogers Cybersecure catalyst executive director so what are we seeing here uh charles or am i right on that timeline have we really seen a bit of a bump yeah we have seen uh a bump shane and and uh you know certainly i mean we've seen a bump really in cybersecurity attacks since uh since the pandemic that really uh, grew the volume uh, of cybersecurity uh, attacks for for a lot of folks, and then and then we saw another sort of bump in cybersecurity attacks with uh, the Russian attack uh, on on Ukraine, and that trend has has been growing. Uh, mm-hmm. And you know we've had some pretty devastating recent events. We had uh, Russian-based ransomware attackers attacking a children's hospital in Toronto in in December and January. We had uh, recent reports, as you just noted, about, uh, again, Russian-based attackers penetrating a national gas uh, distribution facility uh, in Canada. So, you know, the drumbeat of these attacks continues. They're growing in number and sophistication and seriousness. And, you know, they're becoming a real challenge for uh, all of us who care about, you know, Canadian security and our own security and our economy and our, our society at large. So, uh, so it's a, uh, it's a big challenge. We have a guy named Hank that joins us on the show every now and then he's a white hat hacker and and he gives us some insight. And I'm really curious to uh, bounce off you a couple of the notions he shared with me and get your thoughts on those. I've never been able to ask someone else, um, what he's sort of implied. And his implication is that Russia is actually not very capable of this, that um, we maybe need to be looking inside our own borders, inside our continental borders, 
uh, for this because Russia's level of capability is quite low and they subscribe to others from other places in the world. Russia's ability for volume though is very good. There's a lot, an awful lot of people, but the implication that Hank had shared was that without the outside input from the rest of the world, educating, teaching, and providing software, that really they've found that Russia doesn't have a lot to work with other than volume. Do you feel like that's a fit or is that a little offside? No, it's, listen, it's it's a very interesting perspective. There's a couple of pieces there that are kind of cool to chat about. The, you know, the, when we talk about Russia, who are we talking about? There's uh, there's the government uh, of Russia. And then there are uh, ransomware gangs that operate out, out of the territory of Russia and that are tacitly endorsed uh, by the government of Russia. And that connection between the government of Russia and these kind of criminal gangs uh, that, that operate with, uh, with the government approval is a very strong connection and, and really a powerful way for the Kremlin and the Russian government to augment its own cybersecurity capacity, essentially outsourcing it. And that's exactly what happened, by the way, with the attack on Sickens Hospital in Toronto. It was a Russian-based ransomware gang called Lockbit that operates with the tacit approval of the Kremlin. So it wasn't, and nobody's suggesting it was the it was the Russian government itself, uh, but, uh, you know, it pr pretty close pretty close connections. You know, the other point that, mm. that's raised is is a good one, which is, you know, cybersecurity is a uh, a global problem and a and a and a global challenge and you know an international market for ransomware. So your listeners point that um or your guest point that um you know cybersecurity challenges are coming from all over the world is certainly true. It's not just Russia, uh, North Korea, uh, Iran uh, the government of China. Uh, there are a number of other parties that participate in these kinds of attacks against Western targets. When he talked about it, I found it particularly interesting because we often blame these third parties, right? It feels a lot better when you can blame these other countries that seem so far away or at least ideologically so different. But if the notion is that it might be Steve down the street, who's a really good programmer, who's selling that software to these people online and giving them the tools to do that, that really brings it into our backyard a little bit, right? That becomes a little bit more scary of a notion to think that, okay, because if it's Russia, it's at a distance, right? It's a little bit of an arm's length. But if there are local people that are selling that kind of stuff, programming and, and software bits and pieces, and that's just an assumption, right? It's, it's a, it's a, hypothesis here um but there could be some really good programmers next door that are just capitalizing on this and and you know then again you got the volume of the so-called troll farms to go out and do it yeah you know tough to tell certainly the um the evidence that we have around uh around some of the more prominent attacks uh that we've seen in recent years the attribution is fairly clear that they are coming from uh, uh, attackers based in the countries that I've just described. That is absolutely not to say that we do not have cybersecurity risks generated domestically. We definitely do. We know we do. Right. It's a major challenge. It's a major challenge for law enforcement. It's a major challenge for um, uh, our security uh, organizations. Uh, and and you know, it's Steve down the street. It's people within companies. Uh, and organizations that are uh, working contrary to the interests of those com uh, companies and organizations. So 
you know, no question that there's cybersecurity threats uh, everywhere. The growth in the sophisticated ransomware attacks that I'm particularly concerned about is, you know, we think attributable to uh, attackers coming from uh, from overseas jurisdictions, but that doesn't let us off the hook at all. We have to watch all the parts of this uh, this very serious problem. So let's create that contrast. I mean, it is inconvenient for someone to steal my Spotify password and me have to cancel my credit card. That's inconvenient. Uh, also usually insured. It's a lot different when you're talking about a sick kids hospital in Toronto and they can't get health records, can't access computers. I mean, that that the scope changes drastically in that particular case. So uh, if you and I, Charles, okay, so what is it? It's hockey playoffs. We're, we're at a buddy's place. We're getting together to watch the Leafs play. And where it's like, okay, you know, hey, how's work, Charles? Uh, what's the what's the biggest thing going on in your world right now when it comes to threats? What would be what would be your answer to that as we uh, clink our glasses and have that beer? What is the what's the first thing that's on your mind? The first thing that- understanding the scope between Spotify and a hospital. Yeah, no, no. Listen, it, the the thing that's most on my mind is threats to uh, critical infrastructure. So things that we all all rely on. So, you know, the energy sector, the gas in our gas, oh, the, the mm-hmm. you know, turning on the lights, um, our transportation systems, our trains, our airports, um, our healthcare systems, uh, our, you know, hospitals, uh, healthcare data systems, all those, all those pieces. So the critical infrastructure that kind of forms the backbone of our daily lives, that to me is you know, the most serious kind of target for these kinds of attacks. And we're seeing those those attacks more and more. Does that mean that we're going to have a kind of Armageddon event that's going to dis- massively disrupt all of our lives and lead to, uh, you know, serious loss of life or serious damage to property? I, I don't think so. I think it's going to stay at a, you know, at a relatively low low level, low, but serious and continuous. And it's going to have just daily impacts. It's going to be one of these things we hear about all, all the time. And that just costs our economy and our society on, on a regular basis. So, you know, watching the hockey game, having a beer, that's what I'm thinking about. You know, I'm thinking about uh, how do we, how do we address these, these challenges for our critical infrastructure and keep ourselves uh, and our kids safe? Wow, that's uh, that's that's pretty poignant. So, okay, I'm just trying to create some contrast here into people's lives and how this how this goes. This could be a little bit philosophical of me. I've been known to be philosophical from time to time. Um, I lock my door every night when I go to bed. If I go to bed and I forget, if I'm like, did I lock the door? I will get out of my bed and I will go to the front door and double check my door. I'm sure you're the same. Although you are a computer guy, so I fear like you've got it like wired up to your phone somehow. Um, but the, um, the, uh, no, but I will get out of bed cause it's on my mind and I'll go double check and make sure the door's locked. Right. Did I lock my car? Go and do those things. My car has never been broken into like that. My door has never been broken down. No one's broken into my house. So statistically speaking, it's not going to happen to me. Now it is a different scope of things when you're talking about electrical systems and all that, cause there's not very many players in the game. Like there are front doors to houses. Is that what you mean? Like this needs to be that topic of conversation that's going to be that line in the agenda in every corporate meeting, in every conversation you have as a family, 
um, that we just need to be locking that front door, even though the likelihood of someone breaking in is is very, very low. That that is that the kind of capital spent that you're talking about? Yeah, I, I am talking about it. And I draw the contrast. I think your your analogy of the uh of locking the front door is is a really important one. And I think there's there's a distinction to be drawn, a little bit of a difference between corporations and and other kinds of organizations and and our personal lives. So for corporate, you know, for corporations, especially the larger and more prominent organizations, they are getting attacked. So it's not a low probability event. They they are getting attacked or they are going to get attacked. It's not a matter of if, it's just a matter of when. And they are planning many of the larger organizations very actively for these kinds of events. So for example, our banks are planning, our our airlines are planning. They, there's a lot of work going on uh, in in that kind of cor- in those corporate environments to address these pieces, they have large teams. They're working on the the problem. So for those folks, that you know, it is a, a place they're going to spend money. They're going to pay attention because the corporate brass don't want to be embarrassed. The reputations of their companies are are at stake, and you know they want to keep their customers. So they're going to they're working on that problem. For those of, for those of the rest of us who are just thinking about this impact. Uh, to our lives. I don't think we need to obsess over it, but I do think we need to be aware of it. And and that the fact that, you know, there are people out there who do want to make money typically or cause us inconvenience by uh by, you know, attacking our systems or 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 that sort of thing. And there's some basic kind of fairly simple things we can do to address that. So just just make that point like on the one side corporate the corporate world is working on this challenge governments certainly are public sector institutions certainly are and then w- there's a few things that we can do ourselves to make our lives safer but it doesn't have to be i think an overwhelming obsession for the average person well that's good now inside the boardroom though we always have you know here's bob from marketing you know here's uh susie from hr and all these things i mean we go through these different departments um are we we probably should be including this you know here's charles from securities not it distinctly different from it i should say um that it and and cybersecurity i think are two completely different departments from what i've learned and um these are probably the the new aspects of our meetings and conversations that that are going to need to be there because you know we have an awful lot of executives that get up early in the morning and listen to shift on their way to work right yeah and and you're right about it uh and security being different things they've grown to be different things as more and more responsibility has been placed on security professionals but you're absolutely right there's a new position that everybody knows about which is CISO, right the chief information security officer and everybody knows that person and typically in in uh in organizations a couple times a year you'll get some training maybe once a year maybe more often depending on the kind of work that you do you'll get some cybersecurity training about you know two factor authentication about your passwords about not clicking on links in emails that you get from untrusted senders uh so listen this is part of our our corporate lives and and for sure the CISOs and the security teams uh are working hard on it and and you know they're they're engaged in and they're definitely lined up there with Susie from marketing and Bill from HR and Jim from finance uh Ed Ed the CISO is right there uh in that crew with us in those meetings for sure uh as you said that there was an interesting sort of notion that came to my mind if this was our car 
if IT is the mechanic, um, the cybersecurity folks are almost like airbag testers, crumple testers, uh, driving instructors, uh, right? Like they're almost the car designers that test the crumple zones, um, the, the crash test dummies. So would you really want your mechanic teaching you how to drive it? And I'm not quite sure that that's right. Like there is a big distinction there. And I want to lean into that because most people don't understand that, oh, my IT guy did it. He took a course. Nope. That's not the way that works. So can we talk about that distinction? Yeah. I mean, you're right. There are, there are distinct skill sets, you know, between, uh, you know, your IT help desk professional or the person that helps you set up your, uh, your workstation and a security professional. Now, lots of folks transition from IT with additional training to become a security professional. So that's certainly a track uh, that's uh, that a lot of people have gone down, but it is, you know, those are separate, separate functions and they have, uh, uh, they have different perspectives and, and, you know, security professionals are, you know, again, just to use your analogy of, uh, of, of the car, they are, they are, interested in training you how to drive defensively and they're interested in designing your car so that when you hit something you're going to be okay and more and more uh-huh. the thinking is let's de- let's let's design this car so that we know you're going to hit something and you're going to be okay um, yeah. and that's that kind of called zero trust approach to security just to just to take the perspective that you are going to be attacked uh, is something that you know people are focused on more and more because of the prevalence of cybersecurity attacks against uh, against companies and institutions. So you know that that analogy of of the security professional being your kind of uh, a, a double between your driving instructor and your car designer. I really like that. I think that's the right one. Yeah. Do you want your driving instructor to fix your transmission? Yeah, exactly. I would, no. right? Yeah. Like I, right. So it goes both ways. Okay. So let's talk about ransomware. We've chatted about this a little bit here. Charles Finley joins us. Uh, cybersecurity is a conversation. The thing to remember is that ransomware, like if you pay the million dollars that it, it's a real problem because it doesn't even really mean they're going to hold themselves to the deal, right? They, they could always keep the data. They could still sell the data. They could, they could, do it again. I mean, that might still have a little access point. And they're like, I want to go on a vacation or buy a new boat. Let's go hit the X company again. So, I mean, it is possible. Like it's, there's no code of ethics for resolving these situations anyway. So doesn't that lead you to believe that being prepared up front is even more important? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. Yes. Being prepared up front is even more important. Having a plan uh, of what you're going to do and who you're going to call uh, when you are the victim of a ransomware attack. If you're uh, if you're in an organization, if you're you know in an institution, is is really really important. Let's get rid of this idea of ransomware attackers as you know sort of high school kids in their basement with some time off from school. That is not what is happening. It is a multi billion dollar global industry. It's well resourced. It's it's highly innovative. It's very well organized. Uh, they have their own supply chains. They've got their own products. They've got their own uh, distri- distribution networks. It's a huge industry, and uh, it has to be you know recognized that way. 
Uh, Why? There was even one story I had heard to add to your is that there was a, a guy who got hacked and he went to respond to pay his ransom. And the response that came from the hacker organization is we're closed for the weekend. We'll be back on Monday. They're like an organized office. So they, they, absol they absolutely are. So the Lockbit attacker that attacked Sick Kids Hospital, the, the Russian-based ransomware attacker called, called Lockbit, which is a ransomware gang, actually operates as a ransomware as a service organization. So literally like software as a service, they have... Uh, a, a main organization, and then they have a group of licensed affiliates like franchises. And they and their licensed affiliates don't necessarily have to have any technology expertise whatsoever. They just deploy the ransomware technology that is created by Lockbit against targets. They receive a percentage, that is the affiliate does, and then Lockbit takes a percentage. In the case of, just to your point about the situation, in the case of the SickKids Hospital attack, Lockbit actually that is the main organization apologized for the activities of its affiliate because its terms of service, Lockbit's terms of service, uh, uh, bar its affiliates from attacking healthcare institutions. So it's it's exactly like a, I mean this, these are sophisticated corporate uh, like entities. They're obviously criminal organizations, but to your point, they're operating with a high level of sophistication. They're operating in this way because they have the tacit approval of the governments in the jurisdictions where they operate. So uh, it, it is it is a remarkable state of affairs. Thieves with a conscience and a conscience of convenience, eh? Yeah, I, I back out the conscience thing. I didn't actually buy the apology from Lockbit uh, for even a second. I think they only made that apology because Sickens Hospital was doing a terrific job of countering uh, the ransomware attack. And it was quite clear that they were getting a bunch of bad press and were unlikely to be paid. I didn't buy the mm -hmm. apology for a second. These, these folks do not have a conscience. They have a code of conduct mm -hmm. to maximize their return and to earn as much money as they, uh, as they have, uh, uh, you know, as they can, but they'll attack anybody and they'll attack the most vulnerable uh, in order to leverage maximum return. Yeah, it's perfect. It's exactly what I meant with conscience of convenience. I think you just nailed it. Um, this is so interesting. Well, uh, there's so much more to dig into here, Charles. I look forward to chatting a little bit more about this. Uh, can you give us a little bit of a an idea of something else that would be on your mind that we can talk about next time and look forward to? Is there anything else that, that really kind of sits there? Well, I think that there's some really interesting pieces in terms of... Uh, you know, getting pe getting more people into cybersecurity. So there's a real uh, labor market shortage in Canada in cybersecurity. There aren't enough cybersecurity professionals in Canada. So, you know, one really exciting thing to talk about, we talked about all the major problems, but, you know, one thing that we need in, in Canada is to have more and more people uh, in cybersecurity from a wide variety of backgrounds. And, you know, there's an opportunity for folks to, to take the right training and to get into cybersecurity, no matter what the field that you come from is. It doesn't have to necessarily be uh, technology and really make a contribution. So that's a very cool uh, thing that I like to I like to talk about and just encourage people if they're thinking of new careers or thinking of making a change. Does You don't have to have a background in cybersecurity. You don't have to have a bunch of university degrees. It's something that you can you know, get certified in, get in and really make a very important contribution uh, very quickly. And the jobs are out there. All right. We'll talk about more about that. And what does that look like for um, everyone who's looking for career change? Maybe there's some access here too. Charles Finley joins us. Rogers, uh, cyber secure 
Catalyst. Did I get that right? Yeah, I did. That's right. Perfect. It's cool. That's perfect. All right. Thanks, bud. Really appreciate you being here. I appreciate it, Shane. Anytime. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening to The Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca.